Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. It's Monday, March 11th, 2019, and you're listening to Inquiring Minds. I'm Andre Viscontis. Each week, we bring you a new, in-depth exploration of the space where science, politics, and society collide. We endeavor to find out what's true, what's left to discover, and why it all matters. You can find us online at inquiring.show, on Twitter at inquiringshow, and on Facebook. And you can support us on Patreon, where you can find an ad-free version of the show. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or any other podcasting app. One of the areas in medicine that seems to be hitting the headlines a lot these days is our immune system. We hear about it when we hear about people who have trouble with vaccines, who wonder about herd immunity. We hear about the rise of allergies in children and how that might be related to an overactive immune system. And we hear about how the immune system now is being harnessed to fight cancer, which ultimately is an immune disease. What we don't often hear about are the personal stories and how the immune system can be very individualized. It is, of course, a product of genetics, but it's also a product of experiences. And as the allergy situation shows, uh, we now seem to think that the treatment for extreme food allergies might eventually be seen with small doses that teach the immune system something that it seems to have missed out on earlier in life. And of course, that's exactly what vaccines do. So to get to the heart of how personal stories of immune system function can help us understand a general universal principle that can apply to all of us, we can turn to Matt Richtel, who's a New York Times bestselling author and also a Pulitzer Prize winner. Now, the immune system is not in my area of expertise. So I asked our special guest host, Adam Bristol, to take on this interview. Welcome to Inquiring Minds, Adam. Thanks, Andre. So tell me a little bit about why you chose this particular book and uh, what brought Matt Richtel into our studio. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, the immune system really sits at the boundary of health and disease. So it's absolutely critical. And I've been following the field of immunotherapy for cancer for quite some time. And so it's an area of great interest to me. And then Matt had a really poignant and informative article in the New York Times I think in 2016, where he described a childhood friend and his uh, battle with lymphoma and uh, his experiences with an experimental cancer therapy that, again, worked through the immune system. And so the book came out uh, across my desk and I put two and two together and it seemed like a really great opportunity to hear what Matt had to say. So Matt's book is called An Elegant Defense, The Extraordinary New Science of the Immune System, A Tale in Four Lives. I'm pleased to have author Matt Richtel. He's a New York Times reporter, author of numerous works of fiction and nonfiction. Uh, his Pulitzer Prize winning reporting led to the 2014 book, A Deadly Wandering, which examined the pernicious effect of mobile phone use on attentional tasks like driving. His new nonfiction work is entitled An Elegant Defense, The Extraordinary New Science of the Immune System, A Tale in Four Lives. The book explores the current understanding of the human immune system in health and disease as illustrated through the lives of four individuals for whom the immune system became friend or foe. Matt Richtel, welcome to Inquiring Minds. Oh, well, thank you for having me, Adam. So I'd like to start in August of 2016. Your feature article appears in the New York Times, and you describe a childhood friend in his battle against lymphoma. Could you tell us about that story and how it relates to this new book? Yeah. So um, may I tell you about Jason? Please. 
All right. You got to picture this guy. He was in high school, Mr. Everything. He was uh, all-state baseball, all-state basketball. He was a great-looking guy. All the girls loved him. But in our small group of friends, he was also a leader because his infectious laugh was often directed at himself. So he was kind of the all-American kid without being a jerk. Uh, The good kind of jock, you might say. But there was a blemish, Adam. His dad who was also a pillar in our community, my little league coach, died of cancer when we were in 11th grade. And I think it sent Jason off on a path that we can talk about later, but he never quite settled down. All right, you with me on, you got a good picture of Jason? I do. So now fast forward and many of us have moved on with our lives and and um, and we're still friends, sometimes at a distance, a seven of us who are close in high school. And Jason in 2010, starts to feel a scratch in his throat. And Jason, I mentioned, didn't quite go the straight and narrow. He fell a little bit off after his father died and didn't take great care of himself. That scratch in his throat turned out to be lymphoma. At the time, it seemed quite fortunate, Adam. Hodgkin's supposed to be curable. This kind was not. He wound up five years later with 15 pounds of cancer in his back, doubling every few weeks. So here's this Herculean, magnificent guy. You know, we all cherished him. We looked up to him. He was the leader of our group, and he was now sent to hospice. His oncologist tearfully told him, Jason, I love you, man. It's time to go home and die. Okay, so just for a moment, full stop. Here's this great guy. Very year his dad got cancer, he gets cancer. Turns out, as he's at home in hospice, he says, Hey, could I take that one drug? That one drug was called nivulumab. It was immunotherapy. It wasn't on the market yet. It wasn't approved for what Jason had. He was in hospice at home, sent there to die peacefully. He took this drug, and a few days after he took it, I kid you not, his girlfriend wakes him up and says, Jason, You're not going to believe this. Your tumors have disappeared. I love it. As I tell you this, Adam, I am getting shivers. Now, listen, I had been good friends with Jason in high school, but not great friends. Over the years, we became very good friends. And through his cancer battle, I and some of the rest of our group rallied around him. And so I'd been following him closely. And when he called and told me this, Every cell in my body crystallized because, first of all, Jason was not going to die, perhaps. And number two, I'm a journalist with the New York Times, and I am wired, I am congenitally built to understand curiosities like this. And I picked up my pen faster than you could say, Matt, you should pick up your pen. (laughs) And that commenced what was not only the story that appeared in the New York Times, but something much deeper for me. And this is actually how I tend to report. I get frustrated when I don't understand the underlying issues. So it wasn't sufficient for my hyper curiosity to understand immunotherapy. I had to understand the immune system in the first place. What was this thing What is this thing and how the heck did we come to be able to tinker with it such that Jason Lazarus-like could rise from the grave? So you pull this thread, you're interested in the immune system, and boy, that thread just keeps going and going and going all the way to basically, I think your book starts in the 17th century (laughs) with a chicken. (laughs) So you went pretty far back. You know, uh, Jason was so tenacious on the basketball court. I mean, he used to, you just, you could, you did not want to be covered by that guy. And that's a little bit how I approach a question. Like I'm going to, you're going to have to peel me off the floor at the end of the game because I'm going to tear that question back to its origins. And yes, the Bursa of Fabricus, or I can't even remember how you pronounce it. We went back that far to the very questions that led us to understand the immune system, which frankly, remarkably have been pretty darn mur- or has been pretty darn murky to science 
until quite recently. Even still, some of the most basic questions remain unanswered. But over the last 70 years, with pickaxes and, you know, pith helmets, immunologists have really made great strides. And what I loved about the book is that for Jason, we learned about a modern advancement that is harnessing the immune system to combat cancer. Yes. So in that case, we're trying to say immune system, be our friend, help us out here. And of course, that's what keeps us healthy all of, most of our waking life. Right. Now, you, we also meet three other lives in the book, Bob, Linda, and Meredith. And for them, again, we have examples of friend, but some also examples of foe. So I was wondering, if, what drew you to their stories as compliments to the story of Jason? So in very brief, and the, we can talk more if you are so inclined, uh, Bob Hoff got HIV on Halloween night of 1977 and never developed AIDS and has hardly had a symptom. So remarkable is his immune system at fending off this epic illness that the federal government studies his immune system. So that's Bob. And Lyndon Meredith both have autoimmune disorders, which are insanely common these days and extremely complicated. And so the way I thought about this triad was Jason's immune system did too little. Bob's did just the right amount. And Lyndon Meredith did too much. They were like the three bears, but with four bears. So, you know, you yeah. can blame me for bad math or bear storytelling, <laughs> which really is tangential. So let's move No, on. no, I think it's perfect because Linda's story has a happy ending. And again, I don't want to give up too much of the book, but in elucid, in your description, as well as the scientific community's elucidation of the mechanisms of autoimmunity, Linda was able to grab back her life. Yes. And now she's active again. And yes. for someone, again, like you, Tenacious had a great active life that may have contributed to the development, but may not. Hard to know in an N of one case. Yes. Bob, of course, you know, was able to live while many of his compatriots and colleagues and, and, and peers of his era did not survive. Um, but so it's a happy ending for L Linda. But Meredith is a different story. It's a bit more complex. It's, it's, it, to me, it conveyed, look, we've achieved a lot but there's still much more yet to discover. And just to take this down from the 30,000 foot view, just uh, just even a thousand feet, those four people illustrate the breadth of possibility. But together, what they illustrate is the exquisite balance that the immune system seeks in keeping us healthy. And they also show the challenges in maintaining that balance, and the challenges that we have as science, as individuals, as communities in helping an immune system that is so finely tuned, and in some cases so easily thrown off. The juxtaposition of these characters let me demonstrate, I hope you will be the judge, the reader will be the judge, whether um, I've succeeded in that. No, I think that's a great description. And, and and seeking the balance, I thought a great example of that, and, and by the way, you cover a tremendous amount of ground, not just historically, but then transplant, microbiome. Can you imagine the structural nightmares no, that I have? I, I, <laughs> I can't fathom it, frankly. But again, this notion of the yin-yang, the challenge that is the immune system having to protect self, yes. but yet also not carpet bomb self yes. when things do go awry. And I was wondering if you could talk about, we meet some incredible scientists, one of whom is Sarkis Mesmanian yes. down at Caltech who studies the microbiome. Yes, And I thought your description of his work in which, yes, the body fights bacteria, but it also harbors and learns from bacteria. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your interaction with Dr. Mesmanian. Let me talk about that and just, and just say, the, I love your description. And it reminds me that I have like, rethought my place in this world. And I, when I say that, I mean, when I picture myself at times, I see myself as in a, as if in a matrix, except that all those dots or ones and zeros are organisms swarming around me. And I have come to think, owing to conversations with people like Dr. Mismanian and others, that we are this kind of unit of organism surrounded 
by billions and billions of bacteria, virus, parasite, many of which are not dangerous to us, as the scientific community would say, commensal with us. And and so I will see myself in this matrix-like setting. When it comes to Dr. Mismanian and others, I think where I start grounding myself is in the idea that as we evolved, we did so in this world of organisms that to our eye is invisible, but is ever present. And we would not have survived had we not learned to be largely cooperative in that environment. This is an essential notion to the immune system, but also to how we survive just evolutionarily, how we, how we moved through evolution and time was by cooperating with these organisms. A good example is the microbiome and arguably the best example. We have not really thought of the microbiome much until 20 years ago. I mean, you can see, you can read papers about it. You can read speculation about it. You can see uh, sort of scientists who were considered backwater or, you know, they would be the people today who couldn't even, who couldn't even dream of getting a grant, but they sat in their basement saying, honey, I'm telling you, there's something in our gut. You gotta believe me. And she was like, I know you're right, dear, come to bed. And stop, stop with the diagrams. But now we understand that inside our gut is, is this population of organisms that far from being foreign, or rather far from being exclusively not self, are essential to self, even if they are not human. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. So... Let me just start with one interesting thing Dr. Masmanian points out, and I think we understand this now broadly. When I say we, here I've I've unfairly lumped myself in with the smart immunologists, but this is what they no, have it's the proverbial under- we. It's the proverbial the sci- we. It's the scientific community. The scientific community who looks at this understands that the gut is not isolated as we once thought. We tend we t- we have tended to think that the gut and the brain really are cordoned off from the immune system of as we've thought about it. What's happening across the gut, let's call it body barrier, is much more complicated. And what you wind up seeing is signals sent across that barrier. You know, we've thought about the microbiome as this separate, isolated entity. What Dr. Masmanian and others talk about is the way the bacteria communicate across the lining of the gut into the body and even stimulate essential parts of the immune response or the immune system. This is revelatory to me. It's revelatory to me both at the high level because it shows how essential the cooperation is between us and the organisms in our world. It's also revelatory because it shows to me on a micro level that there are some parts of the immune system that can't function without a healthy gut. Now, why would that be? Well, there's two reasons. One is the bacteria, the microbiome wants to survive. To be uh, lay about this, It don't do no good to the microbiome if you die. Exactly. So the microbiome needs you healthy. And interestingly, that doesn't always mean that the microbiome is telling your immune system to attack. Sometimes the microbiome appears to be telling your immune system to withdraw or retreat. Now, the other interesting thing about this from an evolutionary or a deep science sense is it shows that our immune system actually could not function fully without the gut, it shows, to put that another way, that as we evolved, we evolved in cooperation or concert with the microbiome such that the immune system per se, if you wanted to isolate it, didn't have to evolve all its functions alone. It required the microbiome or it did so in lockstep with the microbiome. Right, right. And I I think we're all you know, familiar with the important role that antibiotics have played in health. But I think people are also aware of 
the hygiene hypothesis yeah. and then allergies and maybe autoimmunity. If you get a little pristine in your house, then that often can lead to some counterintuitive health issues. May I, before we turn to the hygiene hypothesis, yeah. may I just seize on antibiotics for a second? Please, please. Because they're a terrific example of an extraordinary innovation that we are learning now we must use much more judiciously because as we learn about the body and the world, we are learning that some of our most powerful solutions have powerful side effects. And here you mentioned A Deadly Wandering, my previous book. I just want to say that, uh, not to draw attention to it, but say that there is a connection broadly in the human condition between many of our most powerful innovations and the side effects we realize are sometimes equally powerful or as dangerous as the thing itself. Now, the most potent example is the nuclear bomb. We stopped a war. We created something terribly dangerous. Industrialization of food brought more calories to more people and has led to obesity. In the case of a deadly wandering, I look at texting and driving and more broadly, the compulsive use of cellular telephones or devices in general, communications technology has been a huge plus. We are only now learning just how dangerous it can be up to the point where you are so compulsively using it, you will die in your car. Similarly, with antibiotics, we created one of the most profound innovations we, in this case, I really can't take credit. I'm going to put it on Alexander Fleming, I think 28 or 20, 29, Nobel in 45. And he said in his Nobel Prize speech, he said, watch out, these bugs are going to fight back. And we turned a deaf ear, as we have often done with our most powerful innovations. And the reason we turned a deaf ear is because on its face, the short-term benefits were so pronounced that how could we not use them? We eradicated in one fell swoop so many low-hanging fruit conditions. I mean, think about all those battlefield wounds, all those cat scratches, all those sticks in the foot that really killed people. No kidding, actually killed them. And now you took a pill and there appeared to be no side effects other than lifelong lived. But now we understand we understand that the immune system can suffer a terrible blow when you eradicate portions of your microbiome that are essential for your health that get thrown out, as you will, with the bathwater when you take an antibiotic. And of course, there are much more bigger problems with antibiotics having to do with drug-resistant infection, but I don't want to go too far down that path. No, I think it's terrific. And you know, your book helps me understand a bit, certainly mechanistically, about antibiotics as well as the mechanisms by which vaccines work. And I've often thought, here we are in the Bay Area, there's a uh, active anti-vaccine movement that's certainly uh, come up in recent years, but it's vaccines, vaccines are a victim of their own success. That is, some of these diseases that you just described that we can now eradicate or have essentially yes. eradicated, they seem to be non-threats now. Yeah. You know, why would you even need vaccines anymore? No one gets this. No one gets that. I, and yet, it, by virtue of its success, has made give us the illusion of protection or the illusion of no threat. So so well said. I just would say this about vaccines. With, with the privilege that I had to speak to these most authoritative Nobel Prize winners, the heads of the NIH divisions, the, I mean, just go down the list. I was so blessed in this, but I couldn't find a person to say that vaccines aren't a good idea or to, to do that without a double negative. They, the, the most authoritative sources on the immune system would say vaccines are brilliant when they work. And the problem with the scenario you just described, if people start thinking they don't need to take them, we could see a rise in these diseases. I want to return, though, to connect that question about antibiotics to the hygiene hypothesis. It might be useful. You tell me. We're, you guys yeah. can't see us. We're looking at each other. We're making <laughs> eye contact. Uh, we're far enough away, I think, not to be sharing bacteria, but it's I, actually, you want to know something? I might, I might sneeze here. Do you no, know the okay. CDC will say five feet for five blue feet. can travel? Oh, wow. Yeah, it could be the particulates air. in the air. What do, you sure. think? what do you think we got here? Oh, no, three and a half. All right. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know. I've been I'm... vaccinated, so. 
I, I, I think good. I, I, feel good. I have a ten-year-old and an eight-year-old, so I think I think I'm I'm giving worse than I'm getting. <laughs> I have a five-year-old and a and a newborn, so I feel like I'm receiving. Oh, his preschool is is just touche. It is just vector vector. They're all vectors of some. They're all vectors. And yeah. and should we just pause and say why that is for a second? Uh, no, please, no. you go ahead. Oh yeah. yeah, or should we do the hygiene hypothesis? Um, no, let's talk about, let's talk about infectious disease okay. in preschools. Well, just, it just, cause it connects so well to vaccines. One yeah. of the things we know about the immune system is that it does learn and it must learn. And so those, those early childhood experiences are acting very much like a vaccination, although in some cases not as pointed with these very virulent diseases that, you know, you get once and forgive the the basic language, but you could be done. Right. And what works when vaccines work is that you find an attenuated version, a weakened version that still provokes an immune response. That, by the way, is not easy to do. So we've had many failures and there are many diseases we have been unable to inoculate against. But this does lead to the hygiene hypothesis. Your kids, my kids in their respective schools. I'm still chagrined that you've got five and newborn because you just completely trumped me. Oh, no, but we're in the throes of it, man. You I know, know, but you're, you're yeah. I'm on the receiving end. Oh, I see. I see. You want more? Listen, we 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 always need uh we always need play we need play partners all the time. So <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> um and 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 that's when Matt ran from the room. <laughs> right. No, right. I'm actually not running from the room. And the way I, reason I'm not running from the room is one of the things I walked away from doing this book is to actually have less fear, less germ phobia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've come to see my relationship with germs very differently, and it goes back to the hygiene hypothesis. So what's the hygiene hypothesis? I, I know listeners have probably heard about it. I, can, um, I can't remember the dates exactly, but it, it showed up um, sometime last century, I believe, in British journals where researchers started to notice that kids, families who had more kids were less likely to get allergies. They thought, well, that's odd. And then there was some, also some um, research along the same lines that showed how um, well-off the families were. And the less well-off families with the more kids, I think I'm getting this research right, were less likely to get allergies. And, and that was the birth of, a, of an idea that hadn't yet taken its name of the hygiene hypothesis, which essentially says that the more scrubbed your environment is, the less able your immune system is to learn the basic attributes of fighting all kinds of bugs. Now, by fighting, I just want to qualify that word. By fighting, I, what I want to say is they have learned to address those bugs in an effective manner. And the reason I'm choosing that language carefully is what you really don't want to have in your life is a, an immune response so zealous that it trumps the risk of the disease itself. And so when you get your immune system trained, it's almost like, um, well, let's see, pick almost any discipline that all of us do when you've put in your 10,000 hours. You can do it more easily, less forcefully, you know, if you've learned your tennis stroke, you can do it with ease and you don't have to muscle it so much. If you've learned your guitar, you know, um, uh, we both play guitar. Strumming. You're strumming. Uh, your chords. You're strumming. Fingering. You know, you're less likely to hammer on the thing. Right, right. You know, let alone smash it, uh, uh, you know, on stage. So it really helps to, to teach your immune system. Today's episode is brought to you by The Great Courses. This show is all about going straight to the source for answers to all of your curiosities, and that is what The Great Courses is all about, too. Their in-depth digital video courses are all presented by top-notch experts, including our own Indre Viscontis, who are so knowledgeable and fascinating to watch. These courses are yours to keep forever, and you can learn completely on your schedule. Indre had a great time partnering with The Great Courses to create Brain Myths Exploded, Lessons from Neuroscience. I highly recommend it. In the course, she explores some of the most fundamental misconceptions about the human brain, like how are smartphones affecting our intelligence? Are other animals as conscious as human? Can brain games actually make you smarter and so much more? 
The Great Course is giving listeners a special limited time offer. Order this digital video course and get 85% off the regular price. That's over $200 in savings, and you can start enjoying today. This fantastic offer is only available at thegreatcourses.com slash minds. Don't wait. Go to thegreatcourses.com slash minds. That's thegreatcourses.com slash minds. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If there is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counseling can help. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, self-esteem, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment and get help at your own time at your own pace. Anything you share is confidential. It's so convenient you can schedule secure video or phone sessions, as well as chat and text with your therapist. And if for some reason you are not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. Best of all, it's truly an affordable option. Inquire Minds listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code MINDS. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com minds, simply fill out a questionnaire, Help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash minds. One of the best things you do, and again, I'm kind of steeped in this in my everyday life, but you gave such brilliant descriptions of the origin stories of common terms that I use all the time and never truly understood the etymology of those terms. My favorite, and I want you to give this to me, toll-like receptors. Oh, we yeah. talk about TLRs about all the night. time. Yes. I never knew that toll-like receptors came from this story, and I don't want to steal your thunder, so please tell us that story, because when I read that in the footnotes, or I was, I just bait, bait, fell off my chair. I, I happened to look at that story again last night, and um, so, so there's actually, as you'll see in the book, if you choose to see in the book, or you could just hear it here. Um, there are, there's a, an ad adaptive immune system and an innate immune system. Really, there are two functions. One comes to the rescue immediately. The other is more precise um, and it adapts um, or it has adapted to fight disease with precision. Interestingly enough, for as more fundamental as the innate system is, we learned about it much later. And there are in the innate system some receptors that signal when the immune system has come across a foreign mm -hmm. organism. They're like pattern recognizers. They're out pattern there ready to, they're kind of scanning the environment, uh, looking for something in particular. For the most basic. And the one that always comes to mind to me is bacteria can often have flagella. Yep. So it's, these are tails and these tails are important to the bacteria because they can let them swim through things. And these pattern recognizers will pick up things like flagella. So at Yale, these two scholars finally unpack this thing and they realize from existing research involving a fly studied in Germany, how these pattern recognizers worked. And at the time in Germany, the folks there who'd looked at this called them toll. Now, when I first heard this and for a long time, I thought, oh, that must be like the toll bridge. Yeah, like a gate or a something. Gate. Yeah, yes, of this course. Is the it gate makes perfect to the sense. Yeah. Turns out toll in German, you do this. No, no, I cannot do the accent. The, so you have to do I, it. No, I let's see. Das war ja toll. As in, <laughs> that was amazing. Toll. That was amazing. Toll. Amazing. Wonderful. Right, right. right. So the, and they are. What's interesting about these toll-like receptors, these toll receptors that are so amazing is they set off a generic response. And we could see aspects of this going back like to the late 1880s, where you would, if you, if let's say you got a splinter, um, you would essentially, and it had bacteria on it, you would see a massive uh, rescue mission. You know, this is the, this is the car crash, um, but a really big car crash and a big response shows up. This is your innate response. And in fact, so significant is the response. I found this bit of trivia really powerful that you may, as you may recognize in the days after say what looks like a scratch, the area of the wound appears to broaden. And this has to do with almost like clearing out the space, 
creating, cordoning it off, cleaning it, the janitorial services associated with the immune response, rebuilding the tissue. A lot of that is an innate response. In some cases, you wind up also getting an adaptive response in many cases. And this response revolves around things that surely we've heard of and many of you have heard of, I'd certainly heard of, and I didn't really understand, which are the T cells and the B cells. And that is a much more precise response that is connected to the individual pathogen or infection that has invaded your body. But even T cells, of course, some are soldiers of fortune. They are cytotoxic, meaning they go out there looking to kill. Yes. And of course, they need a complex set of signals to do that, yes. recognition to, do, to distinguish self from non-self. But yet, there's also peacemaker T cells like T regs. Yeah. And so it's a incredibly complicated system. And your ability to walk through this was, I thought, really extraordinary. So a lot of the system depends on this really in profound telecommunications network. Um, there's a wonderful quote in the book by, by one of the leaders of the NIH, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who talks about this invisible communications network that frankly makes the internet look like a slow, um, diff well, some of you have Comcast and know this anyway, <laughs> makes the internet look like it doesn't work at all. But this telecommunications network is sending out signals and some of those signals say go, and some of the signals say stop. A surprising number of them say stop, because what you don't want, going back to the example I just used, is that wound getting so big that the cleaning crew winds up being worse than if you'd left the infection in the first place. So during the writing and pre-publication of the book, several relevant and I thought important events happened that were directly related to it, in fact. Yeah. First was James Allison and uh, Tosuko Hanju were awarded the 2018 Nobel Prize, which I, I on my uh, galley copy was, you actually speculated that would be the case on page 296. So I, kudos I, to you. I did. They did, in fact, win the Nobel Prize. I, for wait, their can I also say something? Yeah. I believe the Patriots will win the previous Super Bowl. Got it. <laughs> so that's how much game I have in prognostication. I see. Um, and then um, the tragic passing of uh, Stanford neuroimmunologist Ben Barris. Yeah. And I just wonder if you could talk about the relevance of those um, you know, two events. For and, and I just want to also say there was um, a brilliant scientist who in this book got dementia during the course of this. I was going to bring up the glazers. And the glazers. And we, yeah. so we could talk about that. Yeah. I, 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 all of those are important. And, and the glazers and Ben Barris's passing... Um, I just want to mention um, conceptually before I come to the Nobel. Sure, sure. Conceptually, those were important because I realized that the complexity of this science meant I had to make this book as human as possible. I really had to connect it, not only to Jason, Bob, Linda, and Meredith, whose stories you will read, but the reality was that this stuff touches everybody's life all the time. And if I was going to be intimate in this book, then it made sense to me, I realized along the way, to begin to build in the humanity, the immunology, the immune systems of those people who became essential in this book. And it was, um, it was one of those strategic decisions you make as a writer, um, or I made as a writer, that came really from the gut. In this case, no microbiome intended. But, you know, I often say to young writers, the writing has to come from the gut. And it felt so right to describe, in the case of Ben Barris, a guy who was a remarkable researcher who battled cancer, num cancer numerous times. And as I begin to interview him, his own illnesses became central to our conversations. How could I not connect that? In the case of the Glazers, who studied stress, who study stress. Ron Glazer, the husband, got severe dementia in the course of my reporting this book. How could I not, when those conversations were essential to, to my interviews with his wife and his research partner, not make their way into the book? Turning for a second, though, to the Nobel. It was no great prognostication that Allison would win 
a Nobel. After all, he had won many of the awards leading up to right. it that That's are true. precursors. That's true. But more than that, I mean, it just, you can't understate this moment we find ourselves in that he helped define by our ability to tinker with the immune system and take the brakes off it in the case of cancer. And now we are using those very tools to say, put the brakes on in the case of autoimmunity. There was one thought I had though in reading Jason's story. Yes. Is that he had had mercilessly a ton of chemotherapy as well as brentuximab bedotin, which yep. is a CD30 anti-drug, uh, yep. antibody drug conjugate. Doesn't matter. But the point is, is he had Look extensive, he had to have extensive <laughs> uh, chemotherapy in particular. And yep. there is a um, emerging uh, hypothesis that the cell death that happens by virtue of the, uh, the cytotoxic chemotherapy can prime or at least provide the antigens needed for immune uh, immune therapies like nivolumab to do their business, right? Because you're all of a sudden bursting tumor cells, showing the immune system yeah. all their gunk and all their mutations. And I wondered- You guys should see the awesome hand gestures Adam's doing right now. <laughs> but I wondered if, um, again, it's an N of one, but he had, he responded so well to Nevo in that late line setting. Yeah, Could it have been partially because of his ability to withstand and, and, and take all that chemo. I guess one never knows, but that kind of crossed you, my you, mind as I read You can't know, but it goes back to a, a point. It's a great question, and it goes back to a point we had earlier, which is um, if you talk to any of these folks, they will still say we are ground floor. Well said. You know, yeah. or Early base, days. base Early camp days. one. Yep. I, 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 I would say at least we've gotten to Nepal. Yeah. <laughs> You know, exactly. we started a long yeah. way away with no yeah. backpack and mm -hmm. we, we might be at base camp one, nowhere near the summit. And you have to actually ask what, it's fair to ask what the summit is, even is in this metaphor. Is it, and is it, you know, eternal life? Probably not. I just want to draw out one more point about the reason that, um, that, that these stories and their intertwining became relevant in this book is because I see my job journalistically and as a writer more broadly, whether fiction or nonfiction, is trying to find new narratives or to challenge existing narratives or to rewrite in clearer ways narratives that we might take for granted. And so I had to think about what was the real narrative here. And if you're wondering, Matt, Adam, this sounds tangential, um, you know, I, again, you'll be the judge, but I've tried to weave these ideas about friendship and personal health into their core fundamental scientific principles. And what I went through allowed me to be happy, not anxious, um, healthy, not stressed, allowed me to find my voice in the world and to be me. And that, to put it in immunological terms, I found what was self and not alien. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. I, I love those notions you brought up of um, things like bias and prejudice, it's essentially autoimmune diseases of society. Yeah, so um, we haven't yet talked about Bob Hoff, but what's really interesting about his case to me, so he's the guy who got HIV, but never full-blown AIDS. His, his immune system studied by the at the National Institutes of Health. You know, Could he hold the keys to us allowing the body to do a better job of fighting itself rather than say using the cocktail and so on and so forth. And we haven't fully unlocked those yet, but I do want to say this piece about Bob Hoff, which is even more material than any of that. Bob Hoff was ruined as a young man growing up in Des Moines, Iowa. He was a gay man or a gay boy, a, bo a boy who knew he was gay would turn into a gay man and was just humiliated the way so many were at a certain period of time. He was an outcast. When the AIDS crisis hit, he and his brethren were pariahs. But you know what? If it wasn't for diversity of immune systems like that had by Bob Hoff, the human species would not exist. You know how we got through the Black Plague. You know how we got through the the bird flu pandemic, we got through it because of diversity. 
I make a case in the book that culturally, a failure to appreciate diversity is a kind of autoimmune disorder. That zealous nationalism or neo-nationalism played out can be like an autoimmune disorder. Hitler was an autoimmune disorder. He tried to cleanse society and destroyed all the healthy tissue in the process. He tried to make false distinctions among about what is alien. False distinctions about what is alien. Bob Hoff is central to our survival as human beings. This is an argument for the diversity of the immune system, for the diversity of the human population, and for the diversity of the culture. And to just put a final fine point on that, all the revelations in this book, all the scientific revelations, came from multitudes of scientists of international origin. Name your country, the revelations came from there. Only through working together and cooperation do we rise from the grave. It was one of the more profound, emergent lessons from the book that I had never thought of. As a student of biology in my daily life, uh, I've definitely come to understand autoimmunity, but to have it so cogently connected to some of these societal trends that you describe, not just Bob's story, but even some of the larger societal trends, um, that really struck me as, uh, again, not something I expected in this book. I think one of the things that draws me in this book and A Deadly Wandering is the idea of connecting the, the primitive essence, the primitive evolutionary behaviors to both the solutions we are finding and the challenges. Matt's newest book, An Elegant Defense, The Extraordinary New Science of the Immune System, A Tale in Four Lives, will be available at booksellers everywhere. Matt, I want to thank you for being on Inquiring Minds. Thank you. So that was super interesting. And, you know, I think that you can you can definitely hear in Matt's voice that these stories are personal to him, maybe a little bit more so than his uh, previous book, uh, where he talked about distracted driving. No, that's right. And we talked about that uh, in additional part of the conversation. I'd say A Deadly Wandering, which is another great read. Matt, as the author, his role in that book was more of a very interested um, third party. He himself never played a prominent role in that book. And that's not the case with an elegant defense. Clearly, it was his childhood friends. He was very close to uh, Jason Greenstein. Uh, but then towards the end of the book, um, you know, he, 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 he derives what are some very personal um, less, life lessons uh, from the work that led up to this book. And as opposed to sometimes when we talk about um, immunotherapy as a treatment for cancer, we think about this as potentially, you know, a very happy, happy story with a great ending. You know, ultimately, hopefully we will have cured uh, this terrible disease. But in this book, it doesn't seem that every story has a happy ending. No, that's right. And, 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 and Matt's book, I think, is very balanced in that way. Of the four uh, individuals he follows in the book, Jason Greenstein ultimately did uh, pass away, uh, even though he had a very early and, and very dramatic response to his immunotherapy. The cancer did re return. That's documented uh, in the book. And there's some other successes of, of another individual who's uh, battling a rheumatoid arthritis, uh, a disease that can be very debilitating, but advances in immunology have now made that for many patients uh, a chronic condition that's actually quite manageable and they get back to their lives. But uh, for two other individuals in the book, uh, there really, really was no cure. Uh, Bob Hoff, who is a uh, an uh, HIV positive patient but never progressed a, a full blown AIDS, uh, has a super immune system and one that the uh, scientific community is trying to understand. And then uh, a fourth individual named Meredith, um, I'd say, probably had very little success. Um, despite many tests and many years of uh, immunologists trying to understand what was going wrong with her immune system, um, they didn't make a lot of progress. And I think she, it, it, based on my reading of the book, she's probably still suffering in some way. So there's still a lot to learn, uh, despite all we've learned up to this point. But um, it, 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 I think it lends a lot of hope, but uh, clearly there's a lot of work to do. And at the top of the show, I referred to cancer as an immune disease. And I think you take issue to that. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, the proliferation of cancer cells um, 
is aided and abetted by numerous processes, the immune system being one of them. Of course, it has uh, angiogenesis processes, which are going to be uh, bringing um, um, new vasculature to support uh, the cells. And there's a lot of metabolic changes. It even takes advantage of uh, fibroblasts, which are a type of cell that creates collagen. And so it's really a multifaceted approach that can lead to full-blown cancer progression. So I'm not, I think it's, it's too narrow and limiting to say that cancer certainly uh, is is not a disease of the immune system, but it will it um, it uh, unfortunately takes uh, perverse advantage of some immune processes. Okay, I like being corrected. <laughs> so that's it for another episode. I want to thank you for joining us for this installment of Inquiring Minds, and we'd like to thank our supporters on our Patreon campaign, especially David Noel, Clark Lindgren, Stephen Meyer Awald, Michael Galgool, Kyle Raihala, Joel, Jonathan Worsley, Yushi Lin, Eric Clark, Jordan Millar, Herring Chang, and Sean Johnson. You can visit our website at inquiring.show. You can support us at patreon.com slash inquiringminds, where you can find an ad-free version of the show. And you can find us on Twitter at inquiringshow and Facebook. And you can send us comments, feedback, future guest ideas, or anything else you'd like to contact at inquiring.show. Inquiring Minds is produced by Adam Isaac. Our music is provided by award-winning producer Rian Sheehan. And we're your hosts. I'm Indre Viscontis. You can find me on Twitter at Indre Vis. And I'm Adam Bristol. See you next week. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Whatever struggles you're facing, from depression and anxiety to trauma and grief, BetterHelp can help you connect with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, as well as chat and text with your therapist. And anything you share is completely confidential. Best of all, it's truly an affordable option. Inquiring Minds listeners can get 10% off your first month with discount code MINDS. So why not get started? Simply go to betterhelp.com slash MINDS and fill out a questionnaire to get matched with a counselor you'll love today. At Amica Insurance... We know it's more than just a house. It's your home. The place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.